Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I'm going to take a little bit of a risk here off the top of the program. You know, around here, we like to have a good time. We like to keep you in a good mood. Luckily, the subject that we discussed, Georgia football, it's just easy to do that. It's easy to have a pleasant conversation because things around Georgia are typically more good than bad. They've never been better than they are right now as the reigning national champion. And because of all of that, I think it makes it a little bit easier at times to go back and revisit something from the past, even the recent past, that was very unpleasant to deal with at the time, that maybe is cast in a slightly different light now. And I'm going to do that because had Georgia not won the national championship, a few weeks ago, beating Alabama, the audio you're about to hear would really bring up some very just agonizing memories. And I would never intentionally troll you or anything like that. But every now and then going back and revisiting something from the past, I do think gives us the proper context to appreciate what's happening in the present. So off the top of the program here today, that's what I want to do. I want to go back to the heartbreaking loss for Georgia at the end of the 2017 season against Alabama in the national championship game. And Kirby Smart said something at the end of that game that was really profound to me at the time and stuck with me for a number of years after that. And I think many of you, when reminded of this, will feel the same way. And the reason why we play this is because I do think that the, the challenge that Smart issued to himself and his team when he spoke up in 2017 is just as relevant, if not more relevant now, than it ever has been in the past, especially when you consider what George endured in the seasons after Smart said this to eventually get over the hump and win the national championship. So with that in mind, let me let you hear this context. This is after the heartbreaking game against Alabama, the Tuatungo Vailoa throw for the touchdown. Kirby Smart in the immediate aftermath of that, trying to make Make sense of what had just happened, but still with an optimistic, positive eye towards the future. This is what Smart said after that game. We told our team that this game wouldn't be decided by past traditions or, or anything else. It was going to be decided by performances that were happening on the field. And our guys performed on the field, competed. You know, I, I can't say enough about the remarkable senior class. These two young men sitting, this sitting next to me, they meant more to Georgia than yards. A lot of heart and soul, a lot of fire. Sonny Michelle came over and talked to the group several times during the game, inspired those guys. But in overtime, we didn't finish when we had to, and Alabama did. And to give them credit, but I think everybody can see that Georgia's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I'm very proud of this team and this university, and we're not going anywhere. I loved that when Smart said it, even though – he said it during a time when Georgia fans were just so dejected, so disappointed. Smart said, hey, I know we came close this year. I know that we almost got over the hump and won the national championship in really surprising fashion given where Georgia was predicted at the beginning of the year by most people. Um, Smart said, I, I realize that, that all of this is very heartbreaking right now, but we are not going anywhere. Now, let me also say this, is that it's very common for college football fans to feel like the media is sort of out to get their team. And maybe some times in some cases I'm no different at least in this particular issue that I really felt like the media response to the we're not going anywhere kind of expressed a little bit of a 
for lack of a better phrase, a negative bias against Georgia, but not for the reason that you might think. That it wasn't that national media types hated Georgia or anything like that. I truly believe that there were a lot of media people in the immediate aftermath of the 2017 season and the immediate aftermath of Kirby Smart saying we're not going anywhere. I think there were a lot of media types that didn't want college football to be that easy. They didn't want a young coach like Kirby Smart to step in to a head coaching role on the national stage at what has been largely thought to be kind of a sleeping giant program, a place like Georgia. I don't think a lot of folks wanted Kirby Smart to hack the system as quickly as he did. And it's not a, a bias against Georgia. It's, it's really more of a bias in favor of college football being this very complicated institution where, where you know, you have 130 teams that play at the highest level, where a multitude of them have a shot to win the national championship. I think Kirby Smart and the way that he emerged very quickly at Georgia and the way in which he essentially had a very simple doctrine of we're going to get better players, better, more talented players than most teams, and we're going to use a system that makes them tougher than the average player, better talent, playing a more a tougher, more physical brand of football. And with that, we're going to rise the ranks of the sport very quickly. And yes, if we have a setback in year two where we don't win the national championship, we're going to shrug that off. We're going to keep coming at that ultimate prize win the national championship. I think there were a lot of people that just simply didn't want college football to be that easy. They wanted the sport to be more complicated than that because, frankly, there's this concern of, well, gosh, it's the same team that kind of win every single year. There's this huge collection of talent in the southern part of the country, Midwest, far west, certainly the northeast. They can't match that really at all, that we want college football to be more interesting than this. But Kirby Smart says, hey, I I can't help if you think this is boring, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to collect elite talent and we're going to keep coming over and over and over again. And so I think there were a lot of people that really hoped that Kirby Smart was wrong about that. When Smart says, hey, we're not going anywhere, some folks said, well, yeah, maybe, but but hopefully college football just isn't quite so easy to predict. It's one of the reasons why before the start of this past season, I think there was this real rush on the part of some in the media to want to make it a now or never type year that they wanted to to make it be one of those things well if Kirby Smart don't win it this year when is he going to do it I mean that's just one of those things where you just kind of heard that a lot and to me that narrative always felt artificial and it wasn't you know contrived because everybody hates George or even because everybody hates Kirby Smart but I think that there is this thought on the part of many in the national media they hate how easy the SEC makes this look and so if another team like George which had a 40-year drought if all of a sudden they're figuring out things and now they're winning a national championship then really the SEC is making the sport look easier than it's supposed to look and so that's one of the reasons why I think there was a little bit of a rush to get Georgia who had emerged on the national stage off the national stage because it just gave more opportunities for other teams but obviously Georgia did not cooperate with that narrative very much we'll never know what would have happened had Georgia not won the national championship during the 2021 season because that's exactly what they did do they did go out and win the title but in the aftermath of all of that smart actually kind of put a book in on the comment that he said in 2017 when Georgia failed to win the title in 2017 when they came very close but didn't get over the hump Kirby Smart said we're not going anywhere and ultimately he proved to be a man of his word even if it took a year or two longer than some Georgia fans would like for it to ultimately that prophecy came true and yet now in this situation once again where Georgia's back on the national stage this time as reigning national champion when Smart took the podium there that day at the title celebration in Athens a couple of weeks ago 
I couldn't help but think about one of the things that Smart said at the very end of his remarks, at the very end of his speech, that very much reminded me of that very bittersweet comment at the end of the 2017 season. But this time, big smile on his face, knowing that Georgia gets a chance to, to continue on the mission that it took a big step towards in the 2021 season. Let me let you hear this as a bookend to what we heard from 2017. Excellence in leadership, excellence moving forward. We expect them to hold that same standard for a long time to come at UGA. So that brings me to this point, and this is how it ended. We're burning the most, baby, and we're coming back. Go dogs! Thank you. So Kirby Smart says we're going, we're coming back. Now, he doesn't specifically say we're going to repeat as national champions. He doesn't call his own shot Joe Namath style or anything like that. But he certainly acknowledges that the same way he assumed that Georgia would remain on the national stage after it came close but no cigar in 2017, he believes that Georgia remains on the national stage for the 2022 season after being the national champion right now. And it's also interesting to point out that some of the people who were saying before the start of this past season of, oh, it's now or never for UGA, trying to rush Georgia off the stage, some of those same kind of people almost seem to be taking a similar tact of, now that Georgia's won the national championship, there's this thought of, oh, well, Georgia may have finally won the national championship, but don't expect them to repeat. Georgia you know, finally won the national championship, uh, but don't expect you know um you know to build off of that you know they're not going to be preseason number one it's going to be alabama again yeah alabama may have faltered this year but alabama's going to right its wrongs and win the national title uh you know for this upcoming season and who knows maybe, maybe that happens here for uh 2022 but much the same way kirby smart's prophecy in 2017 eventually came true that georgia truly wasn't going anywhere when smart says we're coming back for next season I think it's important to consider just how true that might be as well. Let me give you a couple of stats uh, that point this out. First of all, when you look back on the national title that Georgia just won, I think it's important to acknowledge just how dominant it was along the way to getting that done. Yes, it eventually lost a game in the SEC championship, but prior to that, most of the other games simply weren't close at all. In fact, David Hale, ESPN writer, put out on Twitter uh, recently uh, truly just how successful that was. Can we see the David Hale tweet here for a second on the screen in terms of what Hale says is these were the fewest offensive plays per game spent trailing in 2021. That Georgia, on average, uh, only trailed for nine offensive plays per game for the entire season. That's ahead of Michigan, who was second at 10.1. Cincinnati was uh, 12.4. Wisconsin, 13.2. Uh, on and on you go. But no one spent fewer plays. Not not minutes. Not, not game minutes. These are plays. Offensive snaps. Georgia, on average, was only trailing for nine offensive snaps per game in 2021 after that georgia essentially was in garbage time where where you know georgia's up big couple touchdowns if not more that's the way that georgia played for most of the 2021 season and while some of the guys who helped contribute to that are obviously going to be gone defensive guys like nicobe dean and jordan davis and others there is still a seemingly a pretty significant portion of those that contributed to a national championship for Georgia in, uh, in, in 2021 who are also coming back for this upcoming year. Let me show you this on Twitter there as well. There's a guy named Brent Rollins who does some work for Pro Football Focus and some of the UGA sites uh, also. He puts that on Twitter that he says, uh, independent of transfer portal additions, these are the SEC teams with the most returning players with a Pro Football Focus grade of better than 70 with a minimum of 120 snaps play. So, obviously some people care about pro football focus others don't i totally understand that kirby smart himself has said that can i see this actually one more time though um obviously some folks don't 
But it is interesting to me that Georgia brings back 17 uh, of its guys that got a positive pro football focus grade from a year ago. Bama brings back 11. Auburn, Florida only bring back eight. LSU brings back seven. Arkansas brings back six. So there's this narrative out there. Well, you know, Georgia's you know losing so much of what caused it to win a national championship. But at least from the pro football focus vantage point, Georgia's actually still bringing back a pretty good bit there, too. The point is this, and we'll move on that there were people who wanted Kirby Smart to be wrong in 2017 when he said we're not going anywhere. And no matter how much they may have wished that to be true, ultimately it was Smart who proved to be true, and anybody who wanted to be a naysayer, they ended up being wrong. Well, some of those same naysayers, (laughs) easy for me to say, some of those same naysayers are going to reemerge here on the other side of Georgia's national championship. They're going to move the goalpost a little bit further, and they're going to say, yeah, Georgia may have won the national title in uh, 2021, but I hope you dog fans enjoyed it because you're not going to get close to that in 2022. You may say, well, maybe that's true, but based on what Georgia brings back, based on the level of dominance that Georgia showed throughout the rest of the season, the idea that Georgia's going anywhere anytime soon, I don't see I don't think you see much tangible proof that's going to be the case. Now, with that said, let me shift gears here and do something completely different for a moment. Yesterday, we obviously talked a lot about the hire of Brian McClendon as wide receivers coach. We also had some technical difficulties. Our audio was all messed up yesterday. So there are a couple of things that I wanted to do for you in the show yesterday that we did not get a chance to do, which is give you an idea of how some of the former Georgia players feel about McClendon. Obviously, there is a very much a UGA, uh, you know, former UGA player type vibe to this coaching staff and bringing back McClendon in an on-field role, I think enhances that even more. And a lot of the former Georgia players who join us on this show on a regular basis, man, they just feel really good seemingly about what McClendon brings to the table, specifically the track record of recruiting success and being a very effective assistant coach. That's one of the things that seems to be being touted about him right now more than anything else as he steps back into the role as the Georgia wide receivers coach. Let me start with Terrence Edwards. I'm going to do this for a specific reason. And for a lot of you who watch this on video, you know Terrence was in the comments section yesterday live during the show talking about McClendon. And I find it very remarkable and commendable that a guy like Terrence, who's a weekly regular guest here on our show, who made no bones about the fact of, yeah, if 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 asked to be Georgia's wide receivers coach, if given a chance to be in the mix for that job, obviously he said he would have loved to do, to do that because of the work that he has been doing on a personal level, at the high school level, when it comes to being a wide receivers coach, that, that Terrence would love to see himself in a role like this. And yet, even with his own personal ambitions, that didn't stop Edwards from also feeling good about the chances that another former Georgia player like McClendon could be back in this role. I, I think this is very speaks very well of the fraternity that exists of former Georgia players that a guy like Edwards, who would love to be a coach himself, feeling very good about the potential of what Brian McClendon could do as a coach. So if you as a Georgia fan want to be feeling better about the McClendon hire or have reasons to to tout this hire, Terrence Edwards certainly gave you some of that last Thursday on Dog Nation Daily. Let me let you hear it. First, he's a Georgia guy. He's alum as well, just like myself and Hines Boy. And the difference between, you know, Myself and Hines is B Mac has have done it. He's been there, done that. Uh, he has a reputation of being a, a great recruiter, a reputation of being a, a great developer of, of young men on and off the field. So, if that's the guy that uh, Kirby taps to be the next receiver coach, then I know that relationship will, will continue because uh, I talked to B Mac uh, a lot. So, uh, I would love for if, it, if it's not me or Hines, I would love for it to be B Mac as well, another guy that bring the guys back home. Uh, he's a proven. Uh, college coach and uh I would I would be 100% on board with B Mac Hines or myself being in that position 
So I think that's really cool on the part of Terrence Edwards there to say, hey, I'd love to have the job. I know Heinz Ward, at least in the past, has said he'd love to have the job. McClendon's done it. He's got the resume. So if you bring him back, we're good friends. I would certainly believe in his ability to get that job done. I think that's really cool. And I think it speaks to what Georgia's getting in McClendon. And Edwards was not the only former Georgia wide receiver to come on our show last week and say something similar. Former uh, Dogs receiver Sean Bailey was a big hero in the 2005 SEC championship game. He was also on Dog Nation Daily, presented by ESOG last week. And he also expressed a similar sentiment when it comes to what he thinks that McClendon can bring to the table. This is before McClendon was hired, but now that it's official, Sean Bailey's words certainly ring quite true. Let me let you hear from him again. Brian McClendon, uh, you know, I played with with Brian, and, and he, he's come up. Um, he's showed that on the on the college level, he can go out and recruit and recruit and also develop. Um, he's been an offensive coordinator at the college level. Um, he's been on the on the East Coast, on the West Coast. Um, he's been on the Georgia staff. Uh, he's another. Um, you know, homegrown Georgia guy. Um, so, you know, that just gives that, that extra thing. So if you really want to kind of drill down on why the hire of McClendon's being so well-received, what you hear from Terrence Edwards, what you hear from Sean Bailey, I think speaks to that. It's the fact that he is a homegrown guy. It's great to to have that back on the Georgia staff to match what you have with the head coach and Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp and all the other former dogs that kind of find themselves employed by Georgia right now. I think that speaks to the special vibe that can exist with his coaching staff. But more important than that, it's the track record of big recruiting wins. When McClendon previously worked in the UGA staff, when he was at other places such as South Carolina, uh, that speaks to that there as well. To say the least, the fact that he had just been hired at Miami as – a reboot for that program and important what Miami fans are hoping is a reemergence for the Hurricanes program McClendon was supposed to be a part of that and yet Georgia needing a guy of his caliber swooped in and just simply took him from the Hurricanes that's something to feel pretty good about there as well in the aftermath of all of this it certainly seems like Georgia's hired itself a really effective and potentially quite successful wide receivers coach who has ties to UGA when it comes to that move doesn't seem like there's anything not to like about it my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945, dognation.com, and the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. If you want to, you can bring that music down just a little bit more, if you don't mind. Uh, we're still playing around with our new, uh, at least our substitute audio. We're going to have a pinch-hitting audio board here for a little bit today, so we're still getting used to all of that. But for all of you who join us, video radio podcast everything else just really happy to have you a part of the program and a huge thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia for making it all possible we just spent some time a moment ago talking about georgia hiring a new assistant coaches or assistant coach they got another coach to hire here pretty soon those kinds of decisions are really important when you hire someone like that to work for your program you're obviously putting the the future of your program in their hands and it's the same thing for you when you hire a foundation waterproofing company let's face it the home that you live in is not only the kind of place you have an emotional tie it's also the most important investment in your life and when you talk about the things that impact the structural integrity of that like water creeping in or cracks in the walls that can be the sign of a foundation issue that's the kind of thing where you have to have a trusted resource doing that work for you and that's where engineered solutions of georgia steps in they're also proud partners of uga i love supporting those that support the dogs it just makes you know georgia stronger uh, in the process of all of that and selfishly is also 
a great thing to me that so many of you have done business with Engineered Solutions of Georgia because of the fact they've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. Our trusted partnerships are really what allows us to show up and do this show for you each and every day. So I have a lot of love to Jay and the whole team over there at Engineered Solutions of Georgia for making that possible. And I'm grateful to all of you who've supported them because they support us. Now, Easy to get in touch with. The number you can dial, 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. they got two full-time engineers on staff. If you've got a big problem, they'll tell you how to solve it. If it's a, I guess, quote vanilla ice. Um, if you've got a smaller uh, issue, they'll also tell you that there as well. Sometimes it's as simple as going to the hardware store and, and doing whatever you need to do. And if that's the case, then they'll tell you that but if it's a bigger thing then you want to trust them there for that there too so it's engineered solutions of georgia bringing around the doghouse to you here today all right we'll get connor riley coming up in just a moment some really good stuff with connor national signing days tomorrow we'll talk about that as i mentioned a moment ago there is also still an open coaching position for georgia to deal with as we uh look ahead to the rest of the offseason we'll talk about that more in the mcclendon stuff too But for now, let me go around the doghouse here briefly, and let me give you my own preview of uh, National Signing Day uh, just for a moment. First of all, uh, I thought that one of the the cool things out there right now is Andrew Paul running back out of Texas, took his visit to Georgia, and you've seen some photos there from that, posing with the National Championship Trophy. For those of us for such a long time, we had to hear, uh, you know, Georgia, you can't go there if you want to win national championships. Seeing recruits posing with that trophy is just a reminder of how special this moment is for UGA fans. But something else that Paul did that I thought was pretty cool, and some of the Twitter accounts, things like that, were sharing this, is he took some Instagram video of his official visit and anytime you get a chance to be behind the scenes on something like that and kind of see what the inner workings look like the way in which you get the love i think we have do we have some of this video can we show here on the andrew paul thing yeah that's him stepping into his hotel room you see the cookie cake there on display for him all the uh, energy drinks and whatnot uh, all the cool stuff kind of laid out there on the bed i mean i've always said before that the machine the machinery that exists around these you know recruiting efforts I've always found to be really fascinating all the handwritten letters there and if I could ever be behind the scenes I'd just love to see how that process gets done the way in which you roll out the red carpet you make folks feel loved especially with with Paul being here at Georgia when he had a chance to be somewhere else a running back a lot of us are getting pretty acquainted with pretty quick and it certainly seems like there and on the basis of some of the other social media evidence that's been put on display Georgia really put a pretty big uh you know, made a pretty big impression on Paul this past weekend. And when Jeff Sintel was on our show this past Friday, I had a chance to ask Jeff about that. Hey, this is a guy that, you know, two weeks ago I'd probably never heard of, but all of a sudden now, you know, gets the offer from Georgia. Georgia, you know, really seeming to try to put a good foot forward for him huge stats in texas a little bit of a different level of competition more of a private guy than a public school guy so so is is this one of those things where you know given the fact that georgia seems to be content with jordan james not being a part of this class that's a running back commit that didn't sign in december you know how much can we say that georgia really wants andrew paul right now and how hard is georgia working to have Paul a part of this class when it concludes on Wednesday Uh, this is what our recruiting insider Jeff Sintel said about that when he joined us on Friday show obviously for Georgia offer him really late and then go see him I think take is probably uh pretty much a given here you got to remember Del McGee and Georgia are great but you know Clemson was in this thing about two weeks earlier they got the official visit this past weekend I think Clemson doesn't even have a back in this class right now whereas Georgia has Branson Robinson. So I think it's a matter of 
if he takes the, if he's in Georgia this weekend, feel how everything fits, compare it to Clemson, of course, Oklahoma, TCU, other schools like that around Andrew Paul have also been there for him. He comes from a this is a three time back to back Texas high school state champion. Now it's in the private school league, and it's not in the public school league with you know all the heavyweights. But looking at it, watching his film. Clearly, he's got a burst. He's got a little bit more make you miss on his tape than maybe Jordan James does. So I think really it's a matter of just kind of like trying on the shoes, man, and seeing which one fits him better for his college pursuit. So interesting stuff from Jeff on that, previewing what turned out to be the visit for Paul this weekend. Seems like all went pretty well there. So you start to wonder, here late in this process, is Georgia going to beat out Clemson for a second running back in the class of 2022? And what does that do to add to the intrigue for National Signing Day on Wednesday? Obviously, Dog Nation is going to be all over that there at that time. In fact, I actually want to kind of keep some of this conversation going. We'll do some of this with uh, Connor Riley here, but I also want to get into the McClendon stuff we were just discussing how big of an addition that is for the Georgia class and or should say the Georgia coaching staff and as we talked about on yesterday's show the challenge that awaits McClendon in what certainly seems to be a needed rebrand for the wide receiver position there at Georgia there's a lot to do right now getting ready for recruiting finishing touches on coaching staff celebrating the national championship talking about defending that title upcoming this season and the role that Guys like Brian McClendon play in all of that. Let's cover all the bases right now, including a bit more recruiting stuff, too, with Connor Riley as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily today. Hey, Dog Nation, it's BA. Before we move on with the rest of the show, I want to give you a little bit of a heads up about something. We told you we transitioned with our audio board today, and there's a little bit of an echoey sound you're going to hear for Connor's interview for the most part, you can still hear and make out everything that he's saying, but you know it's a little bit different sound than you're used to hearing. The good news is I believe that is going to be fixed, not going to be an issue tomorrow with uh, the board that we're using for right now, but wanted to give you a heads up for that today that we are aware of that, and we have fixed that for tomorrow. With that said, thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll let you continue with that right now. Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Connor Riley will go Chris Collinsworth style and slide into your screen right there. I always love to be able to see that. Uh, there's a lot to do with uh, Connor here. As I said before, before we're done, we'll get into the the National Signing Day stuff. It certainly seems like this one's actually even someone like me, a non-insider, can can predict the close to tomorrow's class pretty accurately. I'm going to find out if Connor uh, feels like it's as easy to, to foreshadow this as it certainly seems to be for me. We'll do that coming up. But Connor, you and I had a chance to uh, talk about Brian McClendon a little bit on video on Sunday. Before we get into the, into the recruiting stuff, let's get into that right now. And let me just start with this big picture that I want to drill down on, on, a, on a more small-scale topic. You know, you heard Sean Bailey, you heard Terrence Edwards, a lot of complimentary things for why a guy like Brian McClendon could get the Georgia wide receiver coaching job. Just big picture here, what do you think of the McClendon hire? Yeah, I think it's a great flex by Kirby Smart and sort of where this Georgia program is. You look at what McClendon was set to do at Miami, and that's a program with Mario Cristobal where he figures to have the longest runway possible to get things up and running there. And I think the fact that he said, thanks for the offer, Mario, but I'm going to go back to Georgia, a place I know before, a place where I've worked with people on that staff. Let's not discount the role. I think Will Muschamp played in all of this. He was the offensive coordinator for Muschamp in 2020. And so I think with all that together there, you do see the elements of this being a real flex of where 
where I think Georgia is going in the future. You know, wide receiver coach was a very, I think, important hire, especially from the recruiting aspect of it. And you look at some of the guys that Brian McClendon has landed over his time as, at, at, at South Carolina, at Oregon, at Georgia in the past there as well. He's a guy that has, an, I think, an instant credibility with players, and there's a knownness factor to him that I think really helps him and will help him be able to go into homes in this 2023 recruiting cycle and have sort of an instant, I don't want to say impact, but, but he will register with recruits and what he is able to sell to them. One of the things I talked about on yesterday's show is – I believe that Georgia has a little bit of a rebranding issue that needs to go on its wide receiver position. Now, you know, I don't fixate on this position now the way that some people do, because frankly, the results speak for itself. Georgia, without the kind of great receivers that some folks seem to really salivate over, it still won the national championship. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't want to be as good at every position group as you possibly could be. And clearly, at least in terms of perception, output, everything like that, the receiver spot's probably a step below what other position groups have done at Georgia. And so to change that, I think you have to change the way that that folks look at the receiver position at Georgia. And pretty clearly, there's a little bit of a of a block that seems to exist between the very best players in the country at that position and Georgia. It's just been too easy for those players to choose to go elsewhere. And I think McClendon can take big strides towards changing that. But I think it's important to acknowledge the significant nature of the task at hand. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I think one thing to keep in mind here, like let's go back and look at some of those 20, 22 guys that Georgia missed on. Luther Burden is from East St. Louis. Uh, Evan Stewart is from Texas. Both those guys are staying home. Shaz uh, Preston is from the New Orleans area. I'm trying to think of fourth one. Uh, Andre Green Jr. is from the Richmond area. Uh, so uh, none of those guys are really from the state of Georgia or even really in the immediate you know recruiting footprint that Georgia has. I do think going forward, this is going to be something to watch at Georgia recruiting as a whole here with the transfer portal and guys you know, more often than not moving back somewhere to come play closer to home. I do think you're going to see Georgia, and they've done this in these last two cycles. I think the pandemic sort of forced our hand in 2021, but I still think they hit the state of Georgia harder than 2022, is they're going to look to recruit more within their footprint. Guys in the Carolinas, in sort of the north, north northern Florida section, you know, Orlando, Panhandle area, probably anywhere north of Orlando there, and you can see how they've done that in this class already. And so I think McClendon has obviously recruited that area a bunch. He is, you know, I think with Del McGee, probably one of the better recruiters of the Atlanta area and so from a wide receiver standpoint they might be a little bit more reliant on that Atlanta area and 2023 doesn't exactly sound like a great area in that standpoint but with McClendon having recruited at Oregon having spent some time down there in Miami having spent time at South Carolina where you have to really fight and scrap to get guys to come to Columbia I do think he's well equipped well equipped to sort of help that rebuild, as you say, with the Georgia wide receiver room. And obviously, Jeff Sintel had a very interesting story on Sunday at DogNation.com about what Burden and, and Evan Stewart and guys like Andre Green had said about the situation in Georgia. And there were a couple of quotes that I think to some are pretty alarming. And admittedly, you know, I, I obviously noticed them there as well. I guess I don't quite maybe respond to this in the same way that some fans do. I thought Jeff's story was inter- you know, very interesting. I think mm-hmm. it's really a must read for Georgia fans. But when a guy like Evan Stewart says, oh, I'm not going to go to Georgia because they don't throw to wide receivers. Yet I am going to go to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is worse at throwing to wide receivers under Jimbo Fisher than Georgia's been. And I say that as a guy who really respects Jimbo Fisher as a coach, but they've got bigger offensive issues than Georgia has. So I view Stewart's answer to essentially be nonsensical. It just it, it doesn't it doesn't follow. 
logic, even though it's a very interesting quote. Same thing about Luther Burden there, too, where Burden seemingly complains that that Georgia got so much out of Brock Bowers. I got no problem telling you, Luther Burden's not going to be as good a player as Brock Bowers is in college because most players are not going to be. It's a very easy bet for me to say that Burden will be inferior as a college player to Brock Bowers. So if Brock Bowers' success is a turnoff for Luther Burden, then frankly, he's not the right guy for Georgia anyway, because I don't know why I'm telling you this, Connor. I know that I know that Bowers is a tight end by trade, there may have only been two receivers in the SEC this past season that were better than him. I would say Jamison probably be one. Traylon Burks from Arkansas may be the other. But I think Brock Bowers was the third best receiver in the SEC this year. Uh, I maybe include John, John Mechie in there as well. But, but to your, your larger point there, there yeah. Hey, Brock, like, again, and this goes back even to the Darnell Washington bit there as well. You know, I understand you want to get the ball to him. You want to get the ball to these receivers. But Brock Bowers was pretty clearly your best player on offense this year. So why would you not want to get him the ball more and target him more and get the ball in his hands as much as possible? That's what good offensive coordinators do. They get the ball to their best playmakers. Who cares if Brock Bowers is a tight end? Who cares if James Cook is a running back? Those guys were weapons and difference makers for Georgia. And I think you saw that play out in the national championship game. And so, while yes, you know, having, having those guys ready and available to play is one thing, but don't don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Right. Don't don't sacrifice what you do with James Cook, what you do with Rock Bowers, just to try to appease a Luther board of the burden more. Because I, I think it's, it, the comments made by Burden and Stewart were kind of telling you if they have that kind of that thought process coming into it, maybe that's pretty telling why these guys aren't at a place like an Alabama or a Georgia where they are consistently contending for national championships on a yearly basis. Yeah, I think that's right. So obviously it speaks to the challenge that awaits McClendon, but also he steps into an offense that's actually functioning pretty well right now. So that may be a opportunity for him to use. There is still an open coaching spot on uh, the Georgia roster. It hasn't been filled, at least that, that we know of here. And, you know, kind of the more I start to think about this, the more I wonder – is Georgia potentially looking outside the box here for something on this? It's been brought up before that, you know, Georgia plays like, say, nickel coverage, you know, def- extra defense back in the game, probably 50% of the time, if not more, which means that's a lot of defensive backs in the field. In other words, is there a chance that Georgia hires a safeties coach and not an outside linebackers coach and and, and someone like uh, that Will Muschamp ends up ends up you know kind of sliding into the position role that dan lanning would have been in and george is actually looking to hire an extra defensive backs coach to to match the personnel that's that's on the field a little bit more yeah uh, we'll start with scott cochran i think a big name to know there i'd be pretty surprised at this point if he's the guy that fills that 10th coaching role spot, uh, just given the way sort of my reading and understanding of things right now. And we've seen before, Kirby's willing to get creative. I would say Todd Monkey classifies as a creative hire, especially, you know, well, yes, he had success at Oklahoma State and Southern Miss. He got fired in his two previous NFL coaching jobs there. So I think when he's looking for ways to improve his coaching staff, Scott Cochran was an outside-the-box hire when that hire was made. So I, I do think that Kirby is going to think, what is the best possible hire for what my team is going to do going forward? And what does it need? You know, is that an outside linebackers coach? Is that an extra defensive backs coach? I find it pretty interesting if it is a defensive backs coach and what that might one day mean for Jamila Dye, just given there were some rumblings about Tavares Robinson. Obviously, Will Muschamp has a ton of defensive back experience, and Kirby Smart does as well. It feels like a lot of cooks in a kitchen, so to speak, and so I'd be interested there. But 
I feel pretty comfortable saying Kirby's going to make a sort of outside-the-box hire, a hire that is trying to push Georgia further and further in the direction of becoming a team that wins a championship every other year, every third year. Uh, and, and, and hiring out just a guy to be an outside linebacker coach or hiring a guy just to be a special teams coordinator, I don't think fits that program. I, I agree with you. Um, and I think that when you look at – look – there is a chance that Muschamp, of all the position coaches in Georgia, he may, like, he may be as good a recruiter as any of them. I mean, in the brief time mm-hmm. he's already been on the Georgia staff, he's been mentioned by name by several elite recruits as as pretty impactful in their recruitment. So, as important as the edge rusher spot is, that if you could put Muschamp in charge of that next generation of Georgia edge rushers, that might be the most valuable use of him, just given his ability to recruit, how valuable that position is overall. And that does give you a chance to then say, well, if you're doing that with Muschamp, and I'm just obviously just sort of thinking out loud here, um, but if you're doing that with him, then what does that give you the freedom to do somewhere else? With all, all due respect to Scott Cochran, who I'd love to see back on this coaching staff at some point in time, I mean, I hate to be this blunt about it, Georgia's need just may be greater in a different situation right now. I mean, you can make Todd Holly special teams coach, you can do whatever else, but uh, I'm, I'm very happy to see Cochran back around this program. I'm happy to see him continuing to do the work that he needs to do to be, you know, as healthy as he needs to be. But there just may be, there just may be a different kind of need for Georgia right now with that 10th assistant coach, just to be frank. Yeah, and I, I probably agree with that, and that's why, again, I do think you're going to see – you know, a name you might not be necessarily expecting, a name you might, quite frankly, not even have heard of before. Uh, I know people have thrown out, what about Nick Williams? Could you go get him? Georgia's going to make a hire that I think says something about the direction of this program going forward and what it wants to be. I don't know if it's going to be Big Bang takes Little Bang, but it's going to be something where Georgia wants to make a statement about what it is going to be going forward and what it values going forward. All right, a couple things before we let you go here. Let me start with uh, day before National Signing Day. The best I can tell, this is going to be a pretty drama-free Wednesday. Obviously, a lot of attention on Christian Miller. I think a lot of Georgia fans feel pretty good about that. Uh, there were hopes for Shamar Stewart. I don't know any Georgia fan that feels good about that. And then you start thinking about, well, what's left? An in-state name like an EJ Lightsey, maybe. Jeff Sintel's talked to us about him before. We talked about the uh, running back, Andrew Paul, a little bit before that. It seems like two of your uh, commits, Dylan Bell, Darius Smith, are heading towards signatures. This feels like a, a pretty drama-free close to another elite recruiting class for Georgia. Not trying to spoil the surprise here, but is there anything I'm leaving out on this, or any different spin you want to put on it? Yeah, no, I, I don't want to see. You know, again, Christian, if Georgia lands Christian Miller tomorrow, it's a top borderline top 100 player. It's a guy that I think is really going to complete uh, one of the better defensive line classes Georgia's probably ever had in terms of what they've signed there. Uh, EJ Lightsey is probably a guy that can help out in that linebacker room, given all the turnover we've seen there. I do think they have to land a running back tomorrow. Uh, as it stands right now, Georgia only has four scholarship running backs, and one of them, Ransom Robinson, is not going to be on campus this spring as he's a summer enrollee. And we saw with Alabama this year how quickly running back depth can get churned through, and you could even add you know, Georgia in 2013 when, when at key points during that season, Brandon Douglas and J.J. Green we're receiving carries in that game in starting roles for Georgia. So I do think you need to see one of either Jordan James or Andrew Paul sign with Georgia, and we'll see how that plays out there. But, you know, to say it's a low-key signing day, I wouldn't quite go that far. It's just 
with, with all that we talk about recruiting and all that recruiting is covering, it, it's taken a lot of the mystery out of it, which is good and bad in some senses. But I think tomorrow, you know, for the most part, we know what we, we're going to see. But at the same point in time, we probably were sitting here in, what, was it 2019? Saying, yeah, we probably know what we're going to see, not a whole lot of fireworks. Bing, bang, boom, Georgia gets George Pickens, and you're asking, is this real? And it very much proved to be so. That is a very good point, Connor. Uh, I want to do one more thing with you before we let you go. Before that, let me remind folks, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley, and we're heading towards Valentine's Day. Listen, you don't want a drama-free Valentine's. You want Valentine's to be filled with happiness and joy. And the way you do that is by doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is thinking about it beforehand, going to Kroger and getting everything you need. One of the reasons why I would tell you to go to Kroger for all this is you're going to get great savings as well. Did you know that you can get up to 30% off uh, when you use your Kroger Plus card on cards, candy, flowers, and so much more for that special someone. So so make plans now to make Valentine's great and use your Kroger Plus card and get big savings on the stuff that you need to really get the job done right. So it's Kroger.com slash Valentine's for more on that. Kroger.com slash Valentine's for more on that. All right, so Connor, uh, off the top of the program, I talked about the fact that much the same way Kirby Smart said Georgia's not going anywhere after the 2017 season turned out to be true. Kirby Smart also told us during the parade a couple of Saturdays ago they're coming back here for this upcoming year as well. Now, Smart didn't make a specific prediction for the 2022 season, but I do think we can talk about a couple of things here for a moment. Yesterday on the uh, video comment section, we were talking about Georgia's over-under for the upcoming year. My prediction is it's going to be 11 and a half. That's regular season wins. Uh, the Georgia total is going to be set at 11 and a half, meaning you have to bet, you know, for Georgia to go over, you've got to predict them to go 12 and 0 during the regular season campaign. Furthermore, if I'm doing the math correctly, there have only been two defending national champions in the college football playoff era not to make the playoff the following year. It would have been Ohio State in 2015 and LSU in 2020. And I believe those are the only two champs not to make the playoff. So Georgia, at the very least, a strong chance of going 12-0. and Statistically speaking, historically speaking, strong chance to be back in the college football playoff. That, to me, is where the baseline starts for what Georgia can do here this upcoming season and then after that, I guess we'll wait and find out, right? Yeah, I, I would say if Georgia gets back to the play, you know, and one of my big things is always determining what is a successful season. I think this team's clearly going to take a step back from the heights that it reached this past season. You don't lose, you know, three potential first-round defensive linemen, Nicobe Dean, one of the great defensive players in program history. Uh, you, you don't lose all that on the defensive side of the ball and maintain what you were doing. Now, I think by the end of the season, this defense could be one of the better ones in the country, but it's going to, I think, take some time for them to get there. And as far as the offensive side of the ball, they do bring back Stetson Bennett. They bring back some contributors are running back and wide receiver. Obviously, Brock Harris, I actually think they can get better on the offensive line. But I, I do think we're going to need to see this offense take another step forward. It's going to be asked to do more now. It might, you know, score the same amount of points or, or maybe slightly less than that. But I think you're going to need to see this offense really be the galvanizing force behind this team next season. That being said, they're going to be favorites in every regular season game that they play. And, you know, if they're 12-0 and let's say they lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, obviously you need, you need some external factors to play out there. But... I mean, that's still a really great season, and it shows where Georgia is going to be, where, you know, similar to Alabama this year, where it's a perceived down year for you, and you're still one of the top five teams in the country and probably more likely than not a college ball playoff contender. Yeah, I think there's a chance that Georgia's actually a double-digit favorite in every regular season game next year after winning, what, 11 of the 12 regular season games this year by, you know, two touchdowns or more. I think Connor will finish with, with this point it's almost to me as if 
even if Georgia isn't as good as it was a year ago, the gap between Georgia and most of the teams that it's playing is so great that we might actually not notice that, that Georgia could be a step slower, step smaller, step whatever else compared to its 2021 national championship team. Yet the gap between it and most of the teams that's playing so great that it might not be obvious to us that Georgia isn't quite as good as it was the year before. Yeah, and so it, it leaves you wondering just how really good I think Georgia is going to be next year because I'm not sure we're going to get a fair representation of that. You know, Oregon, if Mario Cristobal was coming back, maybe we'd feel a little bit better about But Dan Lanning in his first game as a head coach, that's a decided advantage there for Kirby Smart and what he's going to have there. And so, you know, Florida, we'll see what they are under Billy Napier. I think that's a program where, you know, it might take a year for them to get back to where – yeah, or get, get to a place, place where they are more competitive with Georgia. Tennessee, I still got to see more out of that defense and, and, and what they're going to have there, at least in terms of players. And so, you know, Kentucky, if they're going to keep doing what Kentucky does, they're never going to beat Georgia. I think the Michigan game sort of proved that there. If you want to try and bully ball the UGA, good luck. But that's never really going to happen there. South Carolina, I'm still skeptical. Uh, you know, they're a team who's probably going to be better this coming season, but the record might not necessarily show that, could be. given who they have to play. And so, you draw Miss. To be staying out of the West. It'll be a tough game given the time of the season, but I don't trust Mike Leach to out coach Kirby Smart in that game. And so, in Auburn, I mean, you're going to get to in a second year the mess of messes. You know, we'll even see if Brian Harson is coaching at that point in time when these two teams meet in October. But having said all that, we're probably going to get to the SEC championship game on, I guess, December 3rd, December 4th, whenever it is this coming year, and still have a decent amount of questions about how to really good this Georgia team is just given who they will have played at that point that Alabama team who I expect them to see in the SEC championship game will far and away be the best team that they have played Connor outstanding stuff thank you for your time here today we look forward to reading a lot more from you at uh, dognation.com and of course back here as part of a Kroger fresh take again next week as well certainly appreciate it yep as always it's a pleasure take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah listen not too soon to start thinking about it uh gonna be here before you know it spring practice and everything else going on with these georgia bulldogs we're all over that here on dog nation on a regular basis including dog nation daily here presented by engineered solutions of georgia and of course this portion of the program we do more than just talk about the dogs we try to give you everything else happening around the sec there as well we call it cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean i don't mind telling you I am ready for a vacation. I am ready to be in the sunshine. Yeah, I, I, I'm one of those guys. I just can't go too long without being at the beach, being in the water. I just my body just gets drawn towards that, and so that's why I love Royal Caribbean so much. Is because they give me access to some of the best beaches, most enjoyable vacation experiences you could ever have. And by the way, being on board the ship's pretty nice there as well. And so coming up very soon, I get a chance to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. And I got to tell you, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing as we do that is being a perfect day Coco Cay. You want to talk about a, a beach situation. Unlike anything you've probably ever seen before, a private island right there in the Bahamas. There's a thrill side. There's a chill side. The thrill side has like one of the coolest water parks you'll ever see. Water slides, tallest one in North America, all kinds of cool stuff related to that. Largest wave pool uh, in the Bahamas. You just got an, some of the amazing, amazing things. And on the chill side, you've got you know private cabanas you've 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 got a chance to kind of get you know relaxed and sort of 
you know, just kind of put your feet in the water and enjoy yourself, which admittedly is what I like like doing. But either way, there is something for you to do at Perfect Day Coco Cay, and so many of the Royal Caribbean Cruise itineraries take you to Perfect Day Coco Cay. It's exclusive for those on a Royal Caribbean Cruise, and so I want you to take advantage of that today and enjoy that. And when you book a Royal Caribbean Cruise, like the one thing you need to do is, because trust me, I, I've, I've done this myself uh, a lot of times, and even for someone like me that I feel like knows pretty good a bit about it, there's still a lot of questions that come up. And so you want an expert person to help you with the questions of, hey, what's the right situation for me? What does this mean? What does that mean? That's why we love our friends, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, because they truly know Royal Caribbean as well as anyone. So you can find them online, tcava.com. That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. And they'll help you make the most out of your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Make sure you check them out today. All right, a few SEC through stories I want to get to. We had planned on doing this yesterday, but, you know, given the the weirdness in our studio, envi- studio environment yesterday, we weren't able to do this. A lot of you over the weekend saw the latest Brian Kelly dance video. This one may be even a little sillier than the first one that came up. And, you know, I'm going to give, and we'll show you this on the screen, I'm going to give Connor Riley credit on this because I believe he was the first one that brought this up a few weeks ago that, Kelly is trying to play us on this, intentionally trying to put out a bad video as a way of, of getting more viral attention for himself. And I think there's a chance that Connor's somewhat on this, on, on you know, on to something on this. And I'm probably going to take this video more seriously than I should in saying that I do think Kelly is like a lot of the Internet's treating Kelly as if, oh, he's done this awful video and he's getting clowned for it. But I think the move by Kelly here is actually trying to do the it's so bad, it's good type thing. We've seen coaches do that before. I'd say that Frank Beamer during his tenure at Virginia Tech, I think he achieved dance videos that were so bad they were good. I feel like uh, Mac Brown has probably done that. He's done the it's so bad, it's good dance video where it's so corny and so hokey that folks are actually kind of drawn towards it. I think that Kelly, though, actually stopped short of that here. I think he's going for it's so bad it's good dance video but actually I think he gets kind of stopped a little short of that and it's it's he just gets caught trying too hard I think that's what it ultimately comes down to is that Kelly I think in most people's eyes is not an authentic figure that when he's doing something like this he's still doing it in kind of a self-aware you know a little too self-conscious type way I just think he comes across even in goofy moments like this as the kind of phony fake type guy he's been in the past others have compared it to dan mullen situation in some respects it's at least somewhat similar in that that mullen was just always a little too aware of what he was doing he was always just trying a little too hard and in this particular case i think kelly kind of gets stuck kind of doing the same thing as Connor Raleigh mentioned a moment ago as well we also talked a good bit yesterday about the austin davis situation it is just really weird that a guy like this and it really becomes what the the fifth coordinator uh, Auburn about to have its fifth coordinator coming up uh and just on the second year not even into the second year of the Harson era there at Auburn but just really weird that that Austin Davis left as quickly as he did and the public statement that he gave as to why he was leaving I don't think does anything to make this situation seem less weird and frankly I'm not still quite over the Derek Mason thing as of yet and I thought that Brandon Marcello who now works as a national reporter for 24-7 sports and columnist you know, but has a long track record of having covered Auburn for a number of years. I thought he had an interesting piece up at 247sports.com yesterday where, at least that I'm aware of, Marcelo became the first person to openly acknowledge that, yes, Derek Mason did leave Auburn for Oklahoma State because of a 
personality clash of some sorts with with uh, Brian Harson. The fact that those two guys didn't feel like a good fit for each other, that's what caused Mason to want to leave. And part of me is like, man, if you can't get along with Derek Mason, what is wrong with Brian Harson on all of that? And as we told you yesterday, that some of the interesting and the intrigue about the about the Auburn situation is, is how little it's been noticed. Auburn's number one in basketball. Right now, Bruce Pearl's giving Brian Harson a lot of cover. Even Auburn fans themselves are a little bit more willing to fixate on the basketball stuff and ignore their football program, even though obviously football is what makes the world go around there at Auburn. For now, it seems like Harson's getting a little bit of a free pass, but that is not going to last forever. That some of what's going on there and the what appears to be an inability of people to to want to work with Harson or maybe an inability on the part of Harson to identify who can really handle the rigor of the SEC this is not a good look for an Auburn program that's supposed to be better than this and to have more details coming out about the Mason situation I think speaks to that even more another personnel issue in the SEC coaching carousel continuing to spin looks like Eric Wolford is on his way to uh, Alabama as offensive line coach, leaving the same job at Kentucky to go to Alabama. Most coaches, if they had a chance to do that, they probably would do that. Wolford appears to be the latest example of that. Now, i got to be completely honest with you for a moment. I try to follow SEC news as closely as I can. And so um, when I heard about Wolford leaving Kentucky to go to Alabama, like the one question I had in my mind is, well, gosh, where's Doug Marone going? I guess I missed that. What's Marone about to do? Well, to my knowledge, Marone does not have a job coming up. I think he's expected to go back to the NFL, but he does not have a job in place right now. He's just leaving. And I think this speaks to a pretty interesting situation in Alabama. And I've told you this before, that Alabama's got quarterback play as good as it can get. It's got wide receiver play as good as it can get. And there are a bunch of folks, including some Georgia fans, that make that the envy of the college football world for them. Man, they'd give anything to have quarterback play and wide receiver play as good as Alabama has. But when I say they would give anything, that is not a rhetorical phrase. That is not a, a flippantly used phrase because it does seem like Alabama has made a pretty big trade here to the point where much the same way there were some Bama fans that wouldn't be quite so unhappy if Bill O'Brien left. You know, a guy like Doug Marone, who arrived with a lot of fanfare because he had been a head coach before, seemingly leaving without much of that same fanfare. And now you're going to try to go out and bring a guy like uh, Wolford in from Kentucky, who has done a good job, uh, or at least, you know, the the uh, Kentucky history of the offensive line, you know, pretty good, including here in the 2021 season there, too. So maybe this is an upgrade for all we know. But the Bama success with the throw game, quarterbacks, wide receivers, Man, it has really obscured the fact that Alabama along the trenches is just not what it once was. Statistically speaking, kind of, you know, pretty good with the run game a year ago on defense. But but when you look at what's happening there, it does not remind you of Alabama teams in the past. Those guys seem to play at Georgia. Offensive line, even with guys like Evan Neal, it just doesn't seem like this was quite the dominant Alabama offensive line we've seen in the past. Musical chairs of offensive line coaches doesn't seem to be changing that. The Bama really has become a bit of a finesse team. And it's put so much of its program viability on the backs of quarterbacks, wide receivers, player who are players who are small in stature, small, you know, more prone to injury than than big linemen, than big strong defensive players, wide receivers, quarterbacks, just smaller guys, more prone to injury. That's made Alabama as a program, I believe, more fragile. 
that this is just not the kind of team it used to be in the trenches and another offensive line coach on his way in may be more uh, evidence of that one final thing as a part of Cruz run the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean did see where in 2022 Florida and Florida State are going to be playing on the Friday night before Thanksgiving day after Thanksgiving a night game there and man doesn't this just seem to be a little bit weird that on the one hand it kind of speaks to what Florida Florida State as a program have regressed to the point of being that a game like this would not be happening on a showcase Saturday type thing but happening you know buried on a Friday night although you know folks like watching college ball on the Black Friday it's normally like Nebraska Iowa not Florida Florida State that this game is actually falling a good bid if that's where the game's taking place but also you know Florida's this hotbed for high school football and you would think that the two programs you would want to have respect for that and I realize the TV gets its way and you do what you do but man a little bit of a lack of respect for high school football in Florida that that these two programs are going to play on that high school football night there on Friday. I guarantee that that Georgia would do everything it could to avoid playing on a Friday night if it had any say in the matter whatsoever. But apparently for Florida and Florida State, that's not the case. So I found that to be somewhat interesting. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. One more thing before we sign off for you. Uh, we are a couple of weeks away from the big game. And you know what I'm talking about, the Super Bowl. And obviously, it's probably the biggest gambling holiday of them all. Folks love to get their action down on a game like that as you, uh, as you head towards Super Bowl Sunday in a, a couple of weeks. And, of course, it's a great time for you to open up your account with BetUS if you haven't done that yet. BetUS is America's most beloved sports book. You don't get to be that way unless you're taking good care of your players. That's what BetUS has been doing now for more than 25 years. And for you, they're going to show you that right away. Because when you get signed up at BetUS, you're going to get a 125% initial deposit bonus. That means in simple language, BetUS is going to put more money in your account to start than you put in there. You're literally a winner before you even win your first bet. So go to BetUS.com. Use the promo code DN125. Of course, the DN stands for Dog Nation. Pretty simple. When you use the promo code DN125 at BetUS.com, you're going to get 125% sign-up bonus. for the, So for the action, over, under, pick a side, money line, whatever else, heading towards the Super Bowl, prop bets there too. Find all of that out at BetUS.com, but use the promo code DN125 to take advantage of the special offer. So let's give you a golden shoe today. Did not give you one yesterday, so we'll kind of get back to that here today. Big thanks to our friend uh, Christian Wall, who put this out there on Twitter, uh, listening to the show. Uh, nice to see Dog Nation Daily right there in her radio console. She says, driving from Annapolis to Aiken, made better with coffee and my natty tumbler and Dog Nation Daily on repeat. Christian, that is so nice to hear. Certainly hope you had safe travels there uh, from Annapolis to Aiken. Two great towns for sure. And uh, we certainly appreciate you listening to Dog Nation Daily. Uh, very much appreciate that. Thank you so much. Golden Shoe, the least we can do to offer you on all of that. Also, lousy stinking Gators playing Florida State on a Friday. That speaks to what they've become. And you know what? Long time since they've won a national championship as well. In fact, 4,772 days. That's our Gator Hater Updater. Long national championship drought. Another loss to Georgia coming as well. Let's give you a Gator Hater countdown. 200. 70 days. We will see all of you tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm now off the RS Andrews podcast cool down. We'll take a few of your comments via Twitter here at Dog Nation Daily. 
uh, and you, also at the comment section of dognation.com as well. Chelsea Stevens writes in to say, glad you brought up the weirdness going on in Auburn. Not only the coordinator weirdness, but what about Bo Nix leaving? He says, she says, his dad played there. He dreamed of playing there. Starting quarterback before he got hurt. No great backup. It's all weird, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I was on the radio with our friends at 92.9 The Game a few moments ago, and I think relative to how weird it is, it's actually not getting the entire situation as much attention as you might think. You know, Auburn's only about five years removed from one of the SEC West, only about, what, less than 10 years removed from playing for a national championship, and yet they have become a mere shadow of what they once were. And the degree to which this program has really fallen and diminished, I don't think it's been properly appreciated yet. So I'm very glad to have Chelsea weigh in on that. Lee writes in to say that he and I are cut from the same cloth. He says, I'm a Gator hater. I used to enjoy the NFL, but the huge shadow – the NFL cast has driven me away. He says, I'm going to tune in on occasion, but prefer CFL games more than the pros. Hope your back feels better and good luck to the draftees. Thank you very much, Lee, for saying that. I appreciate that. I was a little banged up yesterday. I'm still kind of okay on that, but twice a year. My back just kind of goes out on me, and I hate to sound like an old man when I say that, but it really is. I mean, it's like an old man thing. No disrespect to any of the senior statesmen in our audience where, I mean, it just becomes hard to stand up straight. Just yeah, just back just just disappears on me in a day or two it goes away and it feels better but man for that one day I mean I'm hunched over I mean I'm hunched over and yesterday was one of those days some of the video audience kind of caught some of that as far as the NFL goes you know I find myself I mean I've been riveted with football the last couple of weeks post-college football there's really no other football to turn your attention to than the NFL but generally speaking in terms of what gets the most of my attention, I go college first. I probably go high school football second and then NFL third when all three are going on. And then when the NFL is the only game left, then I pretty well get into it after that. Uh, Tommy Moon says, I get the feeling that the coaching position that, that Scott Cochran was originally placed in has been changed or absorbed into the current staff. It appears have a different responsibility moving forward. Yeah, it's been great. And we talked about this during the regular show, I believe. It's been great to see Cochran back in the fold for UGA, was there for the national championship celebration, has been present with the Georgia program now for the final few weeks of the season and I'd love to see Cochran move back in an on-field coaching role again at some point but just given the way in which the coaching staff has evolved Georgia may need something different from its 10th assistant than what a you know relatively inexperienced special teams coach like Cochran is going to provide that that losing Lanning there's a responsibility not to just replace Lanning as defensive coordinator that's essentially already been done at least we believe that it has, but but you know what you do with that recruiting spot that that Cochran may one day grow into a great recruiter, but but having someone that's a defensive version of what Brian McClendon has proven himself to be on the defensive side, McClendon proving that on offense, having a version of that on defense is going to be really important. And listen, you know, while it's been great to see Cochran back around the program again. I still think his number one responsibility is continuing that path towards better health. We're still less than 12 months removed from him having to step away from the game. And so given the fact that we're in that time window, him continuing to do the work that he needs to do on himself, I would think is the most important thing there. And so good to have him around the program as he continues to go through all of that. 
uh, Q minus the Barb also weighs in on the same thing with Scott Cochran. So, yeah, that continues to be a little bit of a hot topic. Eddie Rainey says, top dogs come to Georgia for a chance to be coached by the best, practice against the best, and play against every opponent that's going to give you the best shot. All of it helps make the best version of you dare to compete, go dogs. I think that's all really well said. Georgia's the reigning national champion. There's clearly um, already a presence on this coaching staff of former players and UGA graduates who are very proud to be contributing to their alma mater and I think the fact that a guy like Brian McClendon comes back as well just speaks to how special of a current era of Georgia football that we're really involved with right now. I think that's really true. So great comments all the way around. Thank you for being here for our podcast, School Down Today. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Make sure you turn to them for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised for the price that's promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews for that today. Have a great day. We'll see you back here again tomorrow.